Hi guys, how you doing? Um, as you can see, we're starting to get the room set up. Slowly but surely, we're, we're getting there. Hopefully the audio quality is better. It should, Aiden? Yeah, yeah. We were watching Super Also, I need, to, I need to ask you a question, because we were reading through chat during the uh, the first like you know few minutes as we're waiting for the lobby to fill and all of that. Why do you guys think that is a picture of Wendigoon as an angel? Yeah, it's just not. I don't see it. <laughs> I mean, he, he is. A when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Glorious and somewhat hairy man, but yes, you know, aren't we all? You're not. No, you I was very saying, No, yeah, that's not. Yeah. We are not yeah. all. I've got the Italian genes. Yes. I've got the. I don't know. I'm Irish and German and English and mm -hmm. a little bit of leprechaun in there too. <laughs> some corgi perhaps well i'm like 80 percent corgi 80 percent corgi have you seen these stumpers i walk around with mm -hmm. anyway i spilled them myself archie come say hi to the people they haven't seen you in a while come here come here i figured this was a good way to start the show yeah with a little bit of the boy it yeah. always is anytime we get to see the boy oh, over there over there oh look at that look at it you're he looking is. the wrong direction i'm like no. look over there and he's looking that way <laughs> he has no idea what he's looking for. He has no clue. But he's a good boy anyway, and since he's the mascot of the show, he had to make an appearance. Yes. Um, look at him. Look at him. Oh, what a majestic little lad. So, with that out of the way... It's warm in this room. I literally, like, just turned on... I'm still right. Next I, podcast, this is going to be a pity for the gourd shirt, by the way. Oh, can I get one? I, I'm going to buy us each one for, uh, if not this next one, then the following one. Um, so you guys can see how the merch actually looks on us. This is a very old Lorelod shirt, which is why it's faded so much. I bought this last summer. Um, this is actually from the original run where the logo was a lot smaller. Mm -hmm. This is my high school water polo team's sweatshirt. It's got my name on the back. It's very special. But, you know, with... With all of that said, <clears throat> squared away, there's a very absurd thumbnail for this this podcast. Oh, yes. It's wonderful. It's provocative. It's... It's a provocative topic. It's erotic. It's even... An erotic <laughs> topic. Is it, though? No. No, it's it kind of is. I mean, it is. That, under the circumstances. So, for those of you who are somewhat new here, uh, the title of this podcast, the, the ne Missing 401 and the Nephilim Theory, is probably going to look totally out of nowhere and wild. Because we haven't actually really talked about it in about a year. Really? It's been about a year since we talked about this specific thing. Wow, things are starting to go by quickly. That is called aging, my friend. We're old now. And I'm wearing glasses to show that time has passed. Huh? But you've, but you've always worn glasses. This is John Mulaney reference. Oh, got it. Yeah. The Nephilim theory is something, what? Steamy even? <laughs> yes. The Nephilim theory is something I came up with a while ago in a very half-baked sense of here's a whole bunch of things that I don't understand, mm -hmm. and here's how I think they might link together. That's the best way history has ever been done. Exactly. And so over the past year, year and a half, I, 
I have looked into those things that I don't understand, and I understand them better now. A lot of missing 401 cases seem to be explicable for the reason that David Politis left certain information out. Ah. Like the Tom Messick case. Mm-hmm. When we went up there, what we discovered was uh, a lot of people, you know, didn't agree that he was even there. Yep. Now, I'm not saying that it's certain. That case is still a little weird and, you know, there is the question of where is his body if he wasn't there? Did they kill him? Did they bury him somewhere else? Fact of the matter is, if they killed him and buried him somewhere else, like, you know, back in Troy instead of up in Brant Lake, we'd never find the body. We wouldn't even know where to look. But not all the cases are like that. For example, some of them are extremely well documented and happened in a much more discreet period of time. Mm -hmm. Like Jim McGrogan, which we talked about uh, in a podcast episode. We have a full-length video on it. Jim just hiked up a trail. Yeah. And nobody saw him again. Until, what was it, two weeks later? They found his body? I think so. This was the the, the guy in Marathon one, right? No, this was in uh, Colorado. This was in Vail, Colorado. He was the uh, dentist. Ah, uh, right, yeah. That was on the hiking trip. And he went up ahead of his friends. They sat down to rest a little while. And when they got to the peak, he wasn't there. Yeah. They looked for him, couldn't find him. Avalanche hit, obscured everything. And then they found him several miles away off the edge of a cliff, like laying in a frozen riverbank or whatever it was. Missing some clothes, but not all, with broken bones that exhibited signs of a fall from a high altitude. But according to the report, the location of his body didn't totally make sense for that. And also, how would he have ended up where he was? You know, he would have had to hurl himself off of a cliff. Yeah. And why would he do that? And there's Chris Tompkins, walking in a group of four people. He's at the back. Guy in front of him keeps checking back for him. And then he's not there. And his keys and his wallet and some coins are laying on the ground. They find his shoe stuck in some barbed wire fencing. And then his other shoe deep into the woods on the other side of the road. No sign of his body. There's a... I'm I'm struggling to remember the name. Um, Was it it Chris McCandless? The one... He went up to Alaska. That's not not Chris McCandless. I was going to say. I'm thinking the one from uh, Crater Lake, Oregon. We talked about it in one of our episodes, but I can't remember his name off the top of my head. Yeah, nor do I. When they found his body, it was 12 miles from the trailhead he was supposed to be at, which, you know, maybe he got lost. Except his socks were still stuck inside his pants and his feet were in. Ah, I remember that one. Oh, yeah. A lot of weird cases that have no feasible description. And then you look at the folklore of these areas. Because, again, some of these cases, like Tom Messick, I'm not convinced that one's... A missing persons case so much as a crime case. Yeah. But if you look at a situation like Jim McGrogan, that one doesn't make any sense. And there's a there's a bunch of them that we've talked about. We've covered a ton of cases here. Dennis Martin's another one that we just covered. Yep. Um, you know, kid, what was he, five years old? Uh, yeah. Years. Like 55 pounds, like four feet, six inches tall. Mm-hmm. And he just disappears. And we were there. We were there where he went missing. It would be very difficult for a kid to just climb through all that. We were on the exact trail he went missing. And he was nowhere to be found. So, in those cases, it it draws the question, what happened? What took them? Because they can't have disappeared on their own. Mm -hmm. And how did it happen so quickly? How did it happen so quietly? Well, you look at the folklore of the area, and what do you get? 
you get things like the Wendigo. Strength and speed. Skinwalkers. Strength and speed. Obviously, these are not the same thing. Wachuga. Strength and speed. Yep. Uh, you know, Sasquatch isn't really a malevolent entity in folklore, but that too. The Cherokee Devil. All these Native American tales of giants with the power to move at superhuman speed with superhuman strength a lot of the time they can mimic humans they can do all sorts of things and where do those legends come from because they're all very similar mm -hmm. even though they do have their distinct differences skinwalker is not the same thing as the wendigo is not the same thing as the wachuga but they are similar enough in certain aspects i think the skinwalker is the outlier here i think it's the one that might seem similar at first glance but really isn't yeah that's a very distinctly human practice yeah but it's not limited to North America. We also have similar things regarding berserkers in the Norse countries, Norse cultures. Yeah. Uh, masking and shape-shifting, so to speak, is very common in tribal African cultures. Where does this come from? Why is it universal across humans? It could be something like the pyramids, where that's just the structure that fits the best. It's the one that lasts the longest. Yeah. But how does that factor into something ostensibly biological? It doesn't. Unless you start to look into prehistory and you start to look at religions. Because around the world you get stories of giant figures that like to eat people, that everyone was scared of, and then at some point in history, for some reason or another, a lot of these things just disappear. Take, for example, the uh, gods and titans of Greek mythology. They're just gone. And Mount Olympus, where they all supposedly lived, was right there. Mm -hmm. You could climb it. Yep. Nobody ever went up and checked. But they had the stories. And they kept the stories going. And we see similar stuff with uh, cultures across Europe. For example, while it's not exactly the same thing, the story of the Jotnar and the Aestir is very similar to the story of the Titans and the Greek gods. Mm -hmm. We don't know a ton about Celtic mythology. Anyone who tells you they're a Celtic pagan probably is practicing Wicca, not traditional Celtic paganism. Because we don't know anything. We have some vague ideas about it that come mostly from non-Celtic sources and are based more on artifacts than they are on documentation. Mm -hmm. So where did this idea that all of these pagan societies had, that there is a class of beings above humans, but seemingly below creation. I mean, in a lot of these cases, original creation was not practiced by the highest deity. Odin did not create the universe. Mm -hmm. Zeus did not create the universe. That was all done before then. In Zoroastrian mythology, you get uh, Ahura Mazda. He's the creator being. And he creates a, a primordial man, a primordial cow. Which is interesting, because in Norse mythology, you get a primordial giant and a primordial bovine. Paul Bunyan is not related to these things, <laughs> as much as you might think. Are you sure? I'm pretty sure Paul Bunyan is not related to these things. So all these cultures have these similarities. Mm -hmm. And there is very little in common between Zoroastrians and the Norse. Except for the fact that they are both Indo-European. But it's not just Indo-Europeans, it extends into the Semitic groups. So the Jews, for example, have their story of Genesis, of, of the flood of Noah in Genesis. 
and the classic story that we all learned in Sunday school, right? What do you remember it? Do you think you'd recite the Noah we learned about in Sunday school? Oh, gotcha. No, like essentially the the world had been it had been overtaken with like hedonism and and just like bad people to mm -hmm. put it as mildly as possible. And God was just like this. This was a mistake. This needs to be redone. And thus he went to the one pious man left uh, who was Noah and his family. And he said, I'm choosing you to survive. Gather your, your kin, build an ark, and two of each, you know, animal will, will come to be rescued with you. And I believe he, re like, he rejected it at first, but then inevitably he said yes. But if that's inaccurate or accurate, whether or not, within the story... He then builds the ark, and the animals come, and his family survives. Mm -hmm. And it, due to the fact that it rained for 40 days and 40 nights. They're on the ark for about a year and a day. Yeah, and then, what is it, a dove brings an olive branch? Yeah, eventually the dove brings the olive branch. Yeah, I know that's what indicates the land is there, yeah. Yep. But, yeah. That is the simple, easy explanation yep. that we give to kids. Yep. But that is the version most adults remember. Yep. Because we usually don't yep. teach them anything beyond childhood of that. And within the actual canon Bible, and for those who are like, it's canon? Yes, the term canon actually originates with the Catholic Church. Yeah. Um, the well, word means, like, rule. Yeah. I... The, the canon version of the story involves basically four verses. It's that the sons of God... And that is a term that is used elsewhere in the Old Testament to refer exclusively to angels. The sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were fair, and that they took wives of all they chose. There were giants in the earth in those days. These two might not be connected. But whoever was putting together the chapter and verse structure of the Bible decided these two things should be included in the same chapter. Mm-hmm. Something a lot of people don't necessarily understand about the Bible is that the chapter and verse idea is not original. Originally, it was just book. And the book just went from start to finish. Chapter and verse were added in later by the church. Yeah. To make it easier to comprehend. Mm -hmm. But the church of 2022 does not have the context of the church of 1500 or the church of 1000 or the church of 500 or the very first church. So those early churches... You have references in the New Testament. Uh, Christ and his apostles reference Enoch. Now, the book of Enoch that we currently have is an Ethiopic, uh, well, the version we can read is an English translation of an Ethiopic translation mm -hmm. of a Greek translation of a Hebrew text. The likelihood it survived in perfect continuity Yeah. And that there were no edits, no adjustments made to that book is extremely low. There is very little likelihood that that book has not been altered over, what is that, four translations? Yep. What was it we go through the list again? Uh, originally Hebrew, then Greek, then Ethiopic, then no, English. English. So, yeah. So, three translations. Three translations yeah. were next. Yeah. The book of Enoch talks about those four verses of Genesis in great detail. That is, the, the fir first Enoch, which we believe dates to about the 300s BC, mm -hmm. written in Hebrew originally, uh, probably during the early Hellenistic period. So it is possible that some of the some of the stuff in it was influenced by Hellenistic paganism. Yeah. But at the same time, 
it talks about how what that four verses in Genesis mean is that angels came down, 200 of them, came down, took wives of human beings, had children with them, and produced uh, giants. Just, you know, superhumans. Now, the current Book of Enoch says they're about 10,000 feet tall. But the thing is, you got to read that in the context of ancient Israel. They The, the term 10,000 is often used, or, or many thousands, or thousands of thousands. It's used to convey a, a large number or something beyond comprehension yeah. in many cases. And I'm not getting this. This is not all just coming out of my head. Dr. Michael Heiser has books on it. I've got four of them sitting in there. Yeah. I'm not reciting him word for word or even taking this from him, but I'm not the only one who's had this theory. This guy is a mm -hmm. PhD theologian. This is his life's work. Yeah. So I'm not, I'm not coming out of left field with this one. The idea is that those creatures, those giants, and it's interesting, by the way, uh, the people who translated it. Today we look back and we, we try and reconstruct the etymology of the word Nephilim. And we're like, ah, all right, well, there's no Nephilim. Im typically is the, the um, trying to think of an English word we would use. But uh, is it just like in relation to the original? No. So for uh, a term a lot of people will know is Goyim. It's yeah. the Jewish word for Gentiles. Okay. Im means basically the people of. Mm. So uh, the Jews refer to... Uh, Jews who did not leave Israel mm -hmm. or the Middle East as Mizrahim. Okay. What is Elohim? Elohim. Im would be the, the people. Of, so that Im there would be the, the heavenly people. Okay. Um, El meaning God, so the godly people. Got it. Uh, and there are a number of possibilities there. Heiser suggests that that is the heavenly host and that is a separate class from angels. Um, because there's a line where uh, God says that he is dividing the nations between the Elohim. And a lot of people have used that to say, oh, well, early Judaism must have been polytheistic. Because it just said, because Elohim means gods, mm. and he said he's dividing the nations among the gods. Not necessarily. The Jewish and Christian belief would be more along the lines of Elohim is referring to angels, mm. or perhaps another set of divine beings that we don't have a ton of record of. Nonetheless, the sons of God is a term that refers to angels. The daughters of men is a term that refers to the daughters of men. And then we get this story that they created something. And the context that I was talking about is that the people who initially translated that to giant were Greek-speaking Jews. Hmm. So they were Hebrew-speaking Jews as well as Greek-speaking Jews. I think in Alexandria, if I remember correctly, the Septuagint, the, hmm. the, uh, which means the, the, the 70, the book of the 70. Got it. Which is? Tradition holds, and again, we don't know if this is the exact number, but the tradition holds that it was 70 Jewish uh, scholars, Jewish priests, mm -hmm. who also spoke Greek, who independently each translated the entire Old Testament, or at least as much of it was written up to that point in history, into Greek. And then they all combined their work and checked each other, and when there were differences they would basically go with the majority or they would discuss it, they would debate it, and then they would decide what got written in the Greek version. Because you're going to have moments where context changes the actual language. So they were wary of that. They wanted to make sure that they didn't let any 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 wrong information get in. Yep. So they had 70 different people do it. King James did something very similar. I was going to say, yeah, Bible. with, with the was, Septuagint, what, what, 
is the modern version of that? Uh, it's just called. We we still have it. Okay. Um, it's just in English. They just translated it. There's uh, but the the process is what they use for the ASV, the ESV, the King James, all those. They use a similar process where you had either individuals or teams of scholars translate, and then they all met together and compared notes. Was KJV directly to English from Hebrew? KJV, yes. It's Hebrew to English, Greek to English, um, and Aramaic to English. Okay. The prior way that they translated the Bible into vernacular languages was using um, Latin. Mm. So they would take the vulgar Latin, which was vulgar in that context does not mean cursing. Does it mean just like rough? It it more means low. Okay. Uh, So the the low Latin. Like you would have a, you know... You you could almost describe English in that sense. Like if you go to a place where they're speaking uh, vernacular English, Mm -hmm. so Appalachian, African American, you know, whatever, it's going to be different. It's going to have differences from the English the English that is spoken properly, like God, educated, so written English. Low Latin was a dialect of yeah. Latin, essentially. Yes, it was the Latin spoken by the masses. It was not the ecclesiastical Latin, not the uh, high Latin, so to speak. It was a lower variant of the same language that had certain departures, but was based off of the original. And there was the Vulgate Bible, which was the Bible in Vulgar Latin, and that would be translated into vernacular languages. So the flood story... Mm-hmm. Uh, if you get it from the Septuagint, they translate Nephilim to giants. What does giant mean? Giant can mean any number of things. It could be somebody who is seven feet tall in a world where everyone else is five eight. Could also be someone who's thirteen feet tall. Be yep. somebody who's twenty feet tall. Probably not ten thousand feet tall. Probably not ten thousand feet tall. <laughs> but the story we get about the Nephilim is that they are the offspring of these renegade angels and those same angels teach human beings how to use makeup how to craft weapons out of metal how this to... is in enoch mm-hmm. interesting yeah it's actually and this is why i say there may be some influence from the greek side yeah we don't know for sure you know again we, we don't know we only know when the book of enoch was written down mm-hmm. we don't know when these stories started but it seems likely that they probably started way earlier um possibly back to the time that the torah was actually being written down mm-hmm. so that story gets repeated in some sense or another some similar version all across the world mm-hmm. you get stories of demigods in prehistory you know these ages of heroes and what and enoch supposes that the reason for the flood was in fact not to wipe out wickedness it was that the ne- the nephilim had caused so many problems had corrupted the human bloodline completely to the point where you get a story that noah is blameless or perfect in his generations mm. a lot of people look at that and they're like oh well nobody in his family had ever sinned is it that or is it that nobody in his family in his lineage had the bloodline of angels mm. this is all very esoteric this is definitely not mainstream christianity yeah um we had somebody on the show uh, inspiring philosophy his name was michael mm. he disagreed with me on this we had a very great discussion about it i encourage well, people to go watch that i could definitely see the the argument of oh so the bible is now pro-eugenics but like 
obviously in this context it's not that was the exact thing that people said when i said all this on tiktok uh was you know are, are you now advocating for eugenics i was like well no because in this case we're talking about uh angels angelic dna yeah. which would make you inherently bad um <laughs> it's not necessarily that angels are inherently bad either it's just you know if you yeah but i mean coca-cola is great right so is sour cream. If you mix them, it's not good. Like, that kind of deal, you know? You're not talking about something, you know, angels aren't inherently bad because if you mix them with humans, they're bad. Well, it's also probably just on a genetic... But if you made a root beer float with sour cream, it would probably taste pretty terrible. Yeah, also probably something along the lines of, like, when every time an angel introduces itself to, in, introduces itself to a human, it has to say, be not afraid. Yeah. That DNA in the pool is probably not going to go well. Ah, what is that? No way, notification. I don't want you. So the flood, according to Enoch, was not to wipe out wickedness or human immorality. Mm -hmm. It was to wipe out a lineage that had infected all of humanity, except for Noah's family. Through And then, of course, there's you, you have to ask the question, well, wait a second. What about Noah's wife? Mm -hmm. And by extension, Noah's kids. Mm -hmm. If Noah's wife's line wasn't unblemished, wouldn't his kids therefore be unblemished? And was God thinking, was God's intention, oh, well, Noah's pure, therefore his kids will be pure. Because mm -hmm. remember, sin biblically is passed from the father to the son. This is the mother who would have the problem, therefore maybe this won't work out, mm -hmm. right? Also, who's to say that all of these things that happened in Enoch haven't happened again since? So the Nephilim theory, to bring this back into the missing 411 context, is not that every single missing person's case that can't be explained is caused by some sort of supernatural entity. Mm -hmm. It is to suggest that some of these cases may be reflecting supernatural involvement in the sense that there is a lineage of mankind here and there, that still has supernatural powers given to it by this unholy union from however many thousands of years ago. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people might look at this and, you know, ask the question, well, what, you know, that's, that's ridiculous, there was no flood. You know, just because every culture has a flood myth, you know, maybe they're just, their local river flooded. As we talked about recently, there was a flood. Yes. In our episode on the Younger Dryas and the lost civilization that may have been Atlantis, we talked about that flood and how it's been scientifically proven to have existed. Yep. It wasn't the type of flood so many people think of. It wasn't, you know, a flash flood. It wasn't immediate. It was a gradual thing, but it was fast. Yep. Perhaps it was 40 days and 40 nights. Or maybe that's just symbolic terminology. I was going to say, remind me, is the, is the number 40 in the Bible? It is 40. No, no, but, it, but also is that a significant number similar to how seven or ten thousand is so yes three seven and forty all appear multiple times um 40 for example uh moses lives 120 years and his life is divided up into 40 year increments okay so you have zero to 40 40 to 80 80 to 120 again the question is how literally are we supposed to take number numbers in the bible yeah a lot of numbers in the bible are inexplicably discreet like 40 and 10 and they're not always like that 
in Genesis, you have the, the genealogies of Adam to Noah and Noah to Abraham, and those are all funky, janky years. Yeah. Like 973. Like Yeah, it's, what's like the longest that someone supposedly lives Adam. in that? Yeah. Um, so this whole theory that I devised was that all of this, all these stories that I was kind of semi-aware of back then could be linked together. They could make sense. <laughs> and in all the research that we've done on all of the existing 401 cases, all of the lost civilization stuff, I have yet to come to the conclusion that uh, I'm definitely wrong. Yeah. I think that it's probably a lot less of these cases than what I thought. Mm-hmm. But there are absolutely missing 401 cases that just cannot be explained. Yeah. Rationally. What if there is something out there, you know, that we don't get, that we don't understand? Yeah. And what if our ancient ancestors were not wrong? What What if the, the stories we have today perhaps are exaggerations? But not wrong, not incorrect. Could it be that something survived that flood? Or that the lineage survived through Noah's family? Or that Noah's family weren't the only ones to survive? You know, the Bible does say that it took out everything that creepeth upon the earth. Mm -hmm. How literally do you take the Bible? Different Christian denominations disagree on it. How literally do Germanic and Norse pagans take their stories? Mm. how literally do Zoroastrians take theirs you're going to have people who say that you have to take the Bible completely literally on every single thing that it says you're also going to have people that say that you should take the Bible almost entirely symbolically and that none of it actually happened I think there's a middle ground mm -hmm. personally between the two I think that the Bible involves a lot of symbolic language I think that most mythology and folklore and all of this involve theology, religion, all of it involves some sort of uh, symbolic language and exaggeration and mm -hmm. changes in translation over time. So I have to wonder, is what we're dealing with in some of these cases where there is no explanation, are we dealing with a supernatural entity that has remained extraordinarily well hidden across time? Perhaps because it can look like a human being or perhaps because it's just really good at hiding. I think it sounds completely crazy. Like, when I lay the entire thing out, it sounds like complete and total nonsense. Yeah. And this is not the first time that I've sat down and explained this through all the way to somebody. Yeah. No matter how many times I do it, it always sounds like complete BS by the time I'm done. And I cannot shake myself of the feeling that somehow I'm right. Like, even though I feel like, I, like logically none of it makes sense to me. Well, but that's the thing, is because logically it does. <clears throat> I mean, you have to take... You have to take the given variable that Christianity is true. Yeah. Within that given, it is absolutely possible. Yeah. It's also, you also don't have to take the uh, the tack that Christianity is the common person understands it is what's true. Yeah. Just but that rather, there is a God and that there are angels. Yeah. That and, and if you look at it, a lot of people make the mistake of thinking that Christianity does not account for other divine beings. Mm -hmm. Because Christianity says there's one God. There's one creator. Mm-hmm. There is one all-powerful being. Yeah. The Bible also talks about other divine beings. It also, Satan, 
Mm -hmm. God, apparently, according to the book of Job, just will occasionally have councils with all of his angels. So just gather them together, all the sons of God. Mm -hmm. Are the sons of God perhaps not angels? Are they the, the heavenly host? Are they a separate class, maybe? It could be. God says in Genesis, let us make man in our image. Yeah. Is he talking about the angels? Is he making himself plural? Are we talking about the Trinity already? That's what a lot of people say. A lot of people say it's the angels. A lot of people say it's just a mistranslation. Yep. Could the gods of the Greek slash Roman mythology be some form of fallen angel? Mm -hmm. That is precisely what I believe. And it is backed up within the book. And again, right now, clearly we're talking about Christianity. We're talking about religion. Yeah. But if you look at the gods of all these other countries and, and nations and whatnot, a lot of them have similarities. A lot of them have things in common. And the Yamnaya culture, which is the, the original Indo-Europeans, they're probably where that started. Or perhaps there were already religions established, and then the reason that so many of those gods and goddesses are similar mm -hmm. across from places as far to the east as Persia and as far to the west as Ireland, because they are brought in by the Omnia, by the Indo-Europeans, possibly is the reason that you have so many situations where there are gods of war and gods of things like agriculture and fertility, and they're separate classes. Could that be because the Indo-Europeans came in and brought their war gods with them? And when they conquered the people that were already there, they incorporated those gods of fertility and agriculture. The Romans did this all the time. They would go and they would pray to the other side's god, let them win. Yeah. They're like, if you let us win, we'll honor you even more. Like, side with us. We're stronger. We're more powerful. Mm. We deserve your love. And we'll love you back. So that's not, like, totally uncommon. And then you get, uh, for example, the Egyptians. The Egyptian um, uh, magicians that Moses meets, mm -hmm. they cast their rods towards him, and the rods turn into snakes. Mm -hmm. God didn't do that. God gave Moses the power to turn his rod into a snake. Yeah. Who gave the Egyptians the power to turn their rods into snakes? Why does God mention by name, in some cases, the gods of other cities? Mm-hmm. It's not because they're not real. It's because they're not him. Mm -hmm. He's above them. They don't have creative power. In Zoroastrianism, the god of chaos, the, the god of darkness, because it's a dualist religion, mm -hmm. they believe that he has the power to twist, not create. That only one being has the power to create. And that lower being has the power to twist. And Zoroastrianism does not have just two. It has a whole bunch of minor divinities Outside. In fact, it's got, I think, at least two classes of them. Mm -hmm. One, and there's seven of them. Seven, God, what, what might you call them? Uh, they're, they're like angels, but they're, they're, they're at the top. They're the highest angels. Archangels? Yeah, you, would, you, you might refer to them <laughs> as such, correct? Um, and then below those guys, you have a whole bunch of other minor divinities who have different jobs. That's pretty similar to Judaism. That's pretty similar to Greek mythology and Norse mythology, that you've got a few at the top, yeah, and then a bunch below. Yeah, you got what is what is Greek slash Roman? It's obviously Poseidon, Zeus, Hades. I uh, those are the big three. 
But then I think Athena's up there too. Athena is the son of or daughter Zeus. daughter of Zeus, yeah. Who marries Zeus though? Hera. Hera. Mm-hmm. So she's up. She's still not one of the big three though, as far as I understand. But it. Zeus had parents. He does. I can't remember what the Titans. The Titans, right? Yep. Oh, I wonder who that sounds like. Mm-hmm. Interesting, <laughs> isn't it? How all of these different European and Middle Eastern... I will say, this is almost entirely Indo-Europeans, by the way. The Persians yeah. are Indo-Europeans. Yeah. So, the outlier here, the one that doesn't match, mm-hmm. but still has the same story, is the Jews. Now, I'm not saying the Jews got it from the Indo-Europeans. Yeah. I'm saying I think it's interesting yeah. um, that they're the outlier. The rest of those guys are Indo-European. But the Omniya culture emerges out of the steppes of Russia around 3,000 years uh, uh, BC, mm-hmm. at the beginning of the Copper Age. Or you might say the middle of the Copper Age, I guess. Mm-hmm. Do you know uh, about when Noah's Ark would have happened if we're talking about a historical event? Like something that's proven to have happened? Based off of our conversations, I could take a guess. About 11,600 years ago. Yeah. Way predates Yamnaya. Yeah. But it would be something you might expect that <clears throat> people from Noah's tribe would go both north and south. Yeah. And west and east. And they might carry those stories with them. Yeah. That might be how you end up with similar stories all over the place. And again, you do have to, if you're going to believe any of this, you've got to take uh, the the opinion that, yeah, religion's real. That there are, there are divine beings that we don't understand. But oddly enough, I think if you accept that there are divine beings we don't understand, a lot of things that happen on Earth that we don't understand make more sense. For the skeptics among the crowd, like what? Um, let's see. The Flood, for one. Um, people disappearing without a trace. I'm not saying that's necessarily something taken. But if somebody is there one second and not there the next... Trying to explain it in physical reality as we understand it within natural law, it's really hard, isn't it? Mm-hmm. But if you leave room, if you say perhaps, uh, you know, there are multiple dimensions. Mm-hmm. Perhaps we can slip in and out of them. Or if there are apex predators that we don't know about, maybe they take people. I think there is such a over-reliance on empirical evidence that we have forgotten that before we knew the stuff we know, mm-hmm. we didn't know it. We we imagined it. We yep. said, what could possibly be causing this? Yep. And we looked for a solution. And things that 300 years ago, we would have been like, that's not real, are now commonplace in our lives. Yep. Go back to 1650 and tell some random peasant in England what electricity is. Go back to 1890 and tell them that in, in not too long from now, humans will be able to fly. Yeah. Go uh, go back to um, ancient Greece and tell them we split the atom and it caused an explosion. <laughs> They're going to say, what's an atom? Yeah, exactly. Unless it's Aristotle, in which case he's going to be like, ah, I knew it. Yep. Um, like, oh, I called it. <laughs> but that's what I mean, though, is all the things that we look at today as you know scientific fact that we understand, that we get. A lot of those things were at one point or another 
magic. Yep. The, that, that heat coming from the sky. Mm-hmm. My God, it's magical. And now we use it to light our, plant, our house. Light our plants. Light our house. Well, um, the plants do that themselves. Yeah, true. <laughs> yeah. We use it to light our house. Yep. I'm going to be honest with you. I have absolutely no idea how the internet works. Bluetooth? beats <laughs> me. You're a historian, not an IT professional. Yep. I don't, like, can I use them? Yes. Do I know how it works? Could I instruct somebody on it? I can instruct you on how to build a turbine. The part where it goes from kinetic energy into electricity? Mm-hmm. Nope. No clue how that happens. So you're a mechanic, not an engineer. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. but And that's what I mean, though. Is the words that we have to describe the things I'm talking about right now? Yep. The word video was like an old Latin word. Mm. It did not mean pictures on tape. It meant something completely else. I think it meant something along the lines of like to, to see, to view, if I remember correctly. Let's find out. Um, etymology. Is the word you're looking for, I think? Yes, that's exactly the word I was looking for. Uh, Latin uh, videre. Yep, and what to does it mean? To see. To see. So video didn't mean pictures on tape that mm-hmm. play in rapid succession. It meant to see. Yep. I can't describe what I'm trying to talk about in the words that will describe it in 200 years. Yep. I can only use what we have. Yep. That's why you might look at something like, look at the very beginning words of the Bible. You get, uh, the earth was formless and void. And uh, the Spirit of God moved along the faces of the deep. They didn't know what they were describing. Mm. They were describing space-time. Energy, matter. That's what they're talking about. God's saying, let there be light. That's the Big Bang. Yep. When we look back and we observe the Big Bang, and we go, ah, see, that's what created the universe. Not an all-powerful being saying, let there be light and creating uh, space and time. <laughs> So so often, like we uh we look back and we say, oh, we have no idea what killed the dinosaurs. We don't know. Beats me. But, a couple of guys go, oh, look at this boundary of ash. I wonder this. if something cataclysmic happened, like a meteor strike, and they go, no, 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 no. no. Look at this weird, wild thing that looks like a crater. Oh, you can No. And then suddenly, suddenly, it all comes to be. We say there was no flood. There was no extinction level event twelve thousand eight hundred years ago. But there was. We say, oh, well, you know, we don't know what caused that. It's theorized it was a comet. Just because we don't understand how something happened doesn't mean that it didn't happen. Yep. And a lot of people are, are so stuck on that that they think that just because we don't understand how it works, yep. it's not real. And there must be a rational explanation. There is a rational explanation, but we haven't figured it out yet. Yep. That's the one thing I hate about the, uh, this is like slight tangent. Mm-hmm. But that's the one thing I hate about the argument where people will always say, and I, I never hear the nuance on this, but in regards to aliens, mm-hmm. it's always they either don't exist mm-hmm. or we would have found them already. Yep. I'm sorry, we just got into space less than 100 years mm-hmm. ago. You think that we were going to know whether or not there are aliens on the other side of the Milky Way? Mm-hmm. Or you think, or there's another counter argument, it's like they would have contacted us already. It's like, what if they're behind us? Or what if they're so far ahead of us that they're like, we're out on that. Like, or that they don't know how to contact us. Yeah. How would you talk to a bacteria? 
True. <laughs> you wouldn't. You wouldn't even know whether or not they're capable of recognizing yeah. you if, exist. If you were trying to talk to a bacterium, would you talk to it? No. If you were trying to get it to go a certain direction, right? Say say there's a, an amoeba and you want it to move. You can't you can't really push it. No, because you'd kill it. Yeah. So what do you do? Well, maybe you put some food over there. Then it goes and gets the food. Yep. If there are aliens out there, we're God. Yeah. That's probably how it's interacting with us. <laughs> go get the food. Here's a thing. Go, go get it. Go get it. Okay, good, good, good. Now this one. Okay, you weren't supposed to do nuclear weapons. Now we've got to got to keep an eye on you. Yeah. Like that's, I mean, look at look at when all the UFO sightings start. It's 1947. Yep. It's two years after we dropped nuclear bombs on Japan. Maybe, maybe, maybe we went a little too crazy. Maybe we got a little too silly and goofy. I may have been too silly and or goofy for my own good. Yeah. So like that's that's where I'm sitting here with this, and you know. I, I phrased this video in the missing four one context and, and then the Nephilim thing, mainly because I wanted to get that point out there. Yeah. Like, is this really a video about missing four one or the Nephilim? It, it discusses both, puts forward a rather absurd theory. Yes. But what I want people to take away is that just because something seems insane mm -hmm. doesn't necessarily mean it is. Yeah. Doesn't mean it's right. Remember, do, do you, do you know it just might be exactly? It doesn't mean we should stop looking because we're not, we don't get it. Yet. Yeah, and that's how I look at the missing 401 phenomenon. Mm. It probably isn't the Nephilim, but why not totally rule it out? Exactly, why, why not go and look? Yeah, maybe it is, maybe the Wendigo does exist. Maybe there are tribes of feral people out there, maybe there are dimensional rift. Mm -hmm. At the very least, it's weird. Yeah, and it's worth exploring and investigating. Whatever the answer is, it's worth ruling out the things that aren't it yes. to then find out what it is. Exactly. So that's that's what I want people to do, and that's what's frustrating me so much about academia. Yeah. Um, is that you're always supposed to work within the lines in so yep. many cases. Uh, and generally when people try to color outside the lines, it's not so much coloring outside the lines as it is... Um pushing the boundaries for the sake of pushing the boundaries like uh how, how's one what's one way that i can put this uh the conspiracy theory that the jews of today are actually european converts and not descendants of the actual israelite jews this is news to me it's a theory about the ashkenazi okay it completely discounts the fact that there are jews living in north africa and the middle east who are genetically completely in line with the ancient Israelite Jews. Yeah. Ashkenazi, um, for a number of reasons, are lighter skinned. Okay. They look a little bit different. As are a lot of people yeah. who are above the Tropic of Cancer. Exactly. That happened over the course of 2,000 years that they got lighter skinned. They interbred with the local population sometimes. They probably did have certain, you know, 2,000 years... People who are darker skinned, it might simply not even be that the darker skinned Jews were bred out. Mm -hmm. It could be that Jews who were born with lighter skin during times when the Jews were going through periods of persecution mm -hmm. managed to avoid it because nobody knew they were Jewish. Yeah. And so now all of them are white. Yep. But the theory that they were a bunch of uh, Khazars from Eurasia who converted to Judaism and then moved into Europe is prevalent for some reason. Why? I don't know. 
Why are people so, like, know. weird? But people push that, which is ridiculous and edgy yeah. and unabashedly anti-Semitic because it's saying Jews aren't actually Jews and therefore you can be anti-Semitic to them. Yeah. Um, you know, thanks, Kanye. You're doing not the Lord's work. Um, <laughs> You're doing someone's work and it's not ours. Yeah, his name starts with an S. Uh, <laughs> actually, it starts with a B. There's a lot of names for Satan. I was going to say, I do want to... But, like, what, what, why all the different names? God has, like, a few dozen. He's got Yahweh, and he's got... What else? Yahweh, Adonai, Elion, Elohim. Yeah, it just goes on and on and on and on and on. Alpha and Omega, like, beginning yeah. and the end. Like, he's got a lot of names. Yep. So do a lot of these characters. Uh, Michael is referred to as Michael. He's also referred to as the Chief Prince, you know, the, the Archangel. Like, there's a whole bunch of different names that Michael gets. How much do we know about the Michael based off of the Bible? Very little. He's barely in it. Really? Yeah. What do we know? Um, he is the chief prince, mm -hmm. which would be the, the chief among the angels. Yep. Uh, we know that he says one of the hardest lines in the Bible. I'm trying to remember what it is. Um, there's a, a moment where I, I'm trying to remember the exact moment where it's told, but I, I can't remember chapter and verse right now about it. <laughs> Someone just said Moses split the sea with a Beyblade. Oh yeah, that's from Weird Bible. I love that. That's, there was actually a there's a in the Beyblade universe, Moses parts the Red Sea with a Beyblade. That's incredible. Yeah. Um, apparently Beyblade. Jesus is in JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. Like, yeah. Anyway, <laughs> my point was so my there's, there's, there's a moment. I uh, there's a moment where it's described that when Moses died. Uh, Satan and Michael fight over his body, mm -hmm. and Michael basically looks at Satan and goes, your time's gonna come too. <laughs> and then takes Moses' body. <laughs> like, he's basically like, I'm not done with you. That's for me. <laughs> like, your, your time will come, I will get you too. Yeah. But Michael's role is basically that he is uh, the, the archangel who is um, opposed to Lucifer, to Satan. Yeah. Uh, the, the one of equal power, so okay. to speak. Now, it's there's a bunch of versions of Christianity where Michael and Jesus are the same thing. Uh, that is not Christian. That is Gnostic. It is not. That's not in the Bible. Okay. Uh, what is the reason canonically that Michael has not slain Lucifer? Is there one? Not really. God knows what's going to happen. It just hasn't happened yet. He's just, that is basically what the book says. He's just letting it play out. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> he's just he's just watching to see it happen. Yeah, I mean, th this is why I tell people: even if you're not Christian, if you're not interested in like you know being religious, yeah, Christianity is still a super interesting thing to investigate. Yeah, like, like the let, I mean, let, 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 let me break down for you what. What this book says. I love how we've unintentionally be, like transitioned to a weird Bible episode. <laughs> yeah, I know. I uh, the main character of Christianity uh -huh. is God Himself, mm -hmm. but He took a part of Himself and set it aside so that He Himself could view Himself and use Himself to save everybody on Earth from sin. Sin that he did not create. Rather, yeah. instead, the true enemy of humanity is our own free will. Mm -hmm. Like, philosophically, just let that sink in. Yep. That the thing that makes us human 
is the thing that is most dangerous to us. And take it even out of a religious context and think about that. Of all the times that you've been in a situation where you've nearly, like, died, mm -hmm. whose fault was it? Oh, always mine. Exactly. Or, or some other person. Exactly. There are very rarely times when you just die. Yeah. If you go back far enough, you know, a lot of people now die of cancer. Or they get type 1 diabetes. Genetic stuff mm -hmm. that occurred a while back. Almost all of it has to do with someone's decision at some point. No. Um, the reason cancer rates are so high is that we pollute our atmosphere. Because we were a little too silly and or goofy in the last century. Point of the matter is, it's just a really cool story. Yeah. Like, even if you're interested in mythology, yeah. go read Michael Heiser. Mm. Because he's going to show you a side of Christianity that is not Sunday school. Mm. It's not what you hear in church. It's not the simple, you know, be good, do good, treat others as you wish to be treated that we all learn. There is so much more at play. There are ongoing wars between angels and demons, and, you know, Satan is constantly at work, and Christ is still present. Like, there's all of these super cool aspects of Christianity. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> it's, like, it's like the oldest version of the MCU, to put it in <laughs> modern terms. Yeah, and it's part of the reason I love Supernatural so much. Yeah. Is because finally... Even though it really departed from the source material. We won't touch on seasons 6 through 12, 15. But my point is more about the source material. Yeah. Even though it departs from it. It finally is a, a television program that portrays one of the major religions as the equally supernatural and interesting thing that it is. Yeah. Rather than just the watered down version where a lot of people like to pretend that Christianity, Judaism, and Islam are just three sides of the same coin. It technically has three sides. Yeah, I guess, yeah. <laughs> three sides of the same coin. Uh, and that, you know, they're very simple, you know, love your neighbor. God's this one bearded dude up in the sky with heaven, and if you do the wrong thing, you go to hell. Mm. And then they'll be like, okay, so this Greek god had kids with this human being, and the demigod ended up fighting a dog with four heads. Yeah. But, like, it's, it's, oh, it's, that's in the major three religions, the, the three Abrahamic religions as well. Yeah. That's all there. Just, you don't learn about it. You don't hear about it. So it's always fun when media finally plays with that. Yeah. And I think a lot of Christians are really uptight about when that happens. If we're okay doing it to Greek mythology, if we're okay doing it to Celtic, to Norse, to Native American, all these different things, we should be okay with doing it to our own as well. And there are a lot of Christians who, to their credit, I will say, will not indulge in things like Harry Potter or Percy Jackson, things like that, because they say it's unchristian. And as much as I think that you're missing out on a lot of great entertainment, at least you're not being hypocritical. Yeah. Like, at least you are, if you're, you know, you're not saying, you can't touch mine, but I'm going to touch yours. I'll give those people credit. Um, so I can't get mad when people make versions of Christian stories that are not the one in the Bible. Yeah. I'm just happy they're talking about it. I'm happy that they're taking an interest. That somebody went and looked at the book of Enoch and went, wait, hold on a second. Mm. This would make a cool TV show. Yeah. And then did it. Like, they, they went and they looked at Enoch and Revelation. They went, oh, yeah. Oh, we're <laughs> making this a TV show. Yeah. Cool. Good. Do it. And then let me use it as an opportunity to be like, okay, so this is what's actually in the Bible. This is actually the historical aspect. Yeah. You know, let, let the creatives do the creative work. Let the academics do the academic work. Yeah. Because the way the the way people will learn the most is through stories. That was the whole point of the Bible. Exactly. So if you take 
you know, if you take the uh, the pure entertainment version, mm-hmm. take Supernatural, the TV show. Just we're gonna use that one. Yep. Anybody who watches that will learn very little about Christianity. <laughs> but the guy who writes a you know four hundred page book on Christianity, well, those people aren't gonna read that. So those two people need to work together to make content that people can meet in the middle. They can yep. intersect with. Where it's, it's relatively accurate to what is in the mythology mm-hmm. while also actually being interesting. <laughs> exactly. And whether it's Christian or Islamic or Hindu or Shinto, any of those things, it's going to be a lot more fun and a lot more educational when there's entertainment around it that people can break down. And they can yeah. say, yes, so here's what's here's what people legitimately believe. Here's where they took some creative license. You know, uh, go and look at, you know, any Mel Gibson movie yeah. about history. The Patriot is not historically accurate. I mean, it kind of is, like, in terms of, like, events. Yeah. But a lot of it is not historically accurate. Yeah. Um, you look at uh, Braveheart. Mm-hmm. How many people would know who William Wallace is outside of Scotland? Not many. If it weren't for that movie. Exactly. So entertainment has this incredible ability to bring us stories mm-hmm. that otherwise we wouldn't care to read about. Yeah, well, you can also look at Russell Crowe. Yeah, Gladiator. Gladiator is, that was not a real story, but it was a combination of things it that were people... not super far off from a real story. Was Emperor Commodus was a real emperor, and he was killed by one of his wrestling partners. Oh, I know that, but yeah. the, the story of Maximus mm-hmm. Decimus Meridius is not a real story. He was a fictional yeah. character put in a real scenario, exactly. and then a story was crafted around it. Same thing with... Uh, another real score movie, Master and Commander, which is one of my favorites. Captain Jack Aubrey did not exist, but in that film and in that book series, the Napoleonic Wars did, and yeah. life on naval ships That's at real. that time was real, and that movie is considered one of the most historically accurate depictions of that time in history, and it got Academy Awards for that. That's a great example of taking something that existed bringing a little bit of interesting fiction to it and creating a really interesting blend that can people can learn from mm-hmm. while still remaining engaged with yep. the actual content in and of itself. And that's, honestly, I think it's a lot of what we're trying to do here. Yeah. With a lot of our content materials, like, here's this Bible story or here's this historical event. Yeah. Or here's, you know, we don't really do that with the true crime stuff because those are out of respect for the family. Yeah. Um, Also, for those who were not able to watch Friday's video this week, there is a fundraiser attached to it for the Gabby Petito Foundation. Uh, Even if you don't feel like watching the video, we'd appreciate it if you at least consider donating. They're doing some uh, phenomenal work uh, for a very good cause. And, you know, we'd we'd appreciate that. Uh, It's just attached to the video if you go check it out. But with all of that said, it is a little after 8 p.m., so I think it's time to do Super Chats and question time. I would absolutely agree. We had a number of them come through already. Uh, but for those of you who may or be new or just not familiar or would like a reminder, uh, we try to do our best to answer every super chat that comes through before the end of the show. Uh, we have donation goals for you to reach in relation to that. Well, they've reached donation. all of them for November except for, you know. Are you sure? Mm-hmm. Are you sure? There's the last one. Are you sure they haven't reached it yet? It's at 2000. Ah, uh, okay. Then they haven't reached it yet. You know, because we had a little bit of a different... Uh, Revenue this month? Yeah, fair. <laughs> fair. Uh, the first one is from Ben Kravniak. Uh, for 10 bucks, it's a two-parter. 
says, Hayden, on, in a previous stream, you mentioned that you don't like the NIV and prefer the KJV, but you didn't go into detail about why. Could you explain your grievances with it? I'm trying to get into reading the Bible more and want to make sure that I'm getting more direct translation. That That is the issue with the NIV. It's, it's not direct. It's more thought for thought than it is word for word. Okay. Um, and a good a good balance is required for that. You want you want to make sure that you're not going perfectly word for word because sometimes words won't translate. Yep. So you do have to paraphrase. But the thing is, with the KJV, they did that. Got it. With the ESV, they did that. With the ASV, they did that. Um, and a lot of these newer versions, I don't know the exact methodology for the NIV, mm -hmm. but the the NIV, to my understanding, is not a uh, Hebrew to English translation. Got it. It's a they took like either the KJV or the ASV, mm -hmm. I believe. How I, I think this is how they did it. I could be wrong, um, and I'll look into it so that I can uh, correct myself if I am wrong. But my understanding with the NIV is that they took the uh, one of the other English versions, I think the ESV, and they translated it into more readable English. Mm -hmm. The Bible is not supposed to be in readable English. The Bible is supposed to say what the Bible is supposed to say. Fair. So if you if you take it out of that, and I would I would make the same remark about any translated document, whether it's religious or historical or literary. Um, if you take a, if you even take a, a book, a piece of literature out of its native language and translate it word for word, mm -hmm. you're going to get some weird parts. Yeah. But if you translate it into English and then translate it out of, take Shakespeare. Not even Shakespeare. Let's take uh, The Count of Monte Cristo. Yeah. There we go. That's not in English. That's French. It's a French book. If you translate it into English, mm -hmm. somebody who speaks both languages, translate it into English, and then you hand that translated version off to somebody else to put it into modern English, mm -hmm. you're going to lose some stuff. Yeah. You're going to lose some meaning, you're going to lose some poetry, like all of that. So you, that's why I don't like the NIV. Is Yeah, it's easy to read, but so is the NASV, the NASV, and the NKJV. They're all mm -hmm. very easy to read. They're all in modern English with the attention taken to accuracy the niv does not have nearly the attention to accuracy and it's not bad it's just if you're if your goal is to truly understand the religion you should go with something where they took a little bit more care to uh the the actual original meaning and less to readability yeah that makes sense it's better to struggle through a passage of the esv than it is to read the niv and not get the original message your boy for 499 said, just got into the stream while I'm at work. Love what you fellas do. Makes my Sundays more bearable. Thank you. Also, bussy. Oh, no. Fitting. Thank you very much. We're glad you enjoy it. Uh, the Gorge for $5 said, the Holy Spirit is just a stand. A stand? Yes. I don't know what that means. I don't know what it means either. I like that somebody changed their entire YouTube name to the Gorge because yes. of us. That's phenomenal. Love that. Uh, Ryan Whitcup for $2 says, Aiden, God says, or Aiden said God's names and it was like he was rapping. <laughs> I mean. You got Yahweh, you got Adonai, you got Elohim, you got Elyon. You're his, you're God's hype man. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Is uh, that not what the apostles were? Basically. A group of hype men for Jesus. Imagine, imagine, bef like, being at a, like, essentially like 20 ad restaurant and all of a sudden the candles get blown out these 12 guys just walk right in and they're standing in the corners and they just start chanting beatboxing just beatboxing and then all of a sudden jesus walks in and he's just like guys please 
We have to stop this. Christ walks in and drops the Sermon on the Mount <laughs> in rhythmic verse. <laughs> he was the first R&B artist. Anyway, um, Ben said for $2, Jesus canonically dies in America in JoJo. That's... So JoJo's. it's Mormon. Got it. <laughs> <laughs> so JoJo's Bizarre Adventure is a Mormon tale. Gotta love that. Christmas loving engineer for fifty bucks. Thank you very much. Thank you. Uh, hey y'all, really love your content. Never had a chance to catch y'all live. Love this and the Weird Bible podcast. It helped me reignite my drive to study the Word. Thanks. Thank you, sir. We're glad we're keeping you curious. Or ma'am. Yes. <laughs> um, let's see what else we got. Oh, that skipped us down. Uh, DJ talks randomly for twenty. Thank you very much. Says so. Weird question. <coughs> Got some fecal masala down the wrong way. Yep, yeah, that'll be pop up. something up, then it goes in the wrong way. Yep. Ah. <clears throat> anyway, uh, so weird question. I have a weird story that I don't know if it's a religious or cryptic or hallucination or what. Can I email it to y'all to try and get some ideas as to what it could be? Yes. Yep. Is our email still in the description? Uh, yes, it's the thelorelogicgmail.com. It's yes. quite simple. Pretty simple, pretty easy to remember. Uh, Katie said, hey, besties, have you heard of Ehud Judges 319. I need to I need to remind myself really quick. Fair enough. Uh Judges 319. Where's Bible Gateway? Bible Gateway, by the way, if you it regardless of what version you own, if you want to read the Bible and you want to compare, Bible Gateway is phenomenal. <clears throat> but he turned himself again from the quarries that were by Gilgal and said, I have a secret errand unto thee, O king who said, keep silence, and all that stood by him went out from him. Let's see. Let me add. Now these are the nations which the Lord left to prove Israel by them, even as many of Israel as had not known all the wars of Canaan, one of the generations, namely five lords of the Philistines, the Canaanites, and Sidonians, the Hivites, uh, Lebanon, Mount Balhamon, <clears throat> Sorry, I'm reading through these. You're good. Uh, I mean, this appears to be about the formation of Samaria, um, or of Israel from Samaria. But Ehud made him a dagger which had two edges. Okay, but when the children of Israel cried unto the Lord, the Lord raised them up a deliverer, Ehud the son of Gera, a Benjamite, a man left-handed. And by him the children of Israel sent a present unto Elgon the king of Moab. But Ehud made him a dagger which had two edges of a cubit length, and he did gird it under his raiment upon his right thigh. And he brought the present unto Elgon, king of Mo Eglon king of Moab, and Eglon was a very fat man. This is the NIV, by the way. Okay. Um, which is why it says he was a very fat man, not something rather poetic. Ah, fair. Uh, <laughs> the fat man. The and fat when he had made an end to offer the present, he sent away the people that bear the present. But he himself turned again from the quarries that were by Gilgal and said, I have a secret errand unto thee. And Ahud came to him. Uh, he was sitting in a summer parlor for which he had himself alone. Ahud said, I have a message from God unto thee. And he rose out of his seat and Ahud put forth his left hand and took the dagger from his right thigh and thrust it into his belly. And the haft also went in after the blade, and the fat closed upon the blade, so he could not draw the dagger out of his belly, and the dirt came out. Uh, so Ehud murders uh, the king of Moab. I'm not sure 
I'm going to need further clarification on what the question was. As a reminder, the question was, have you heard of a hood? Yeah. <laughs> well, after just reading it, yes, now you yeah. absolutely have heard of a hood. It's not a story I paid a ton of attention to before. It's not a story the Jedi would tell you. No, uh, it's not. <laughs> You're right. Although, the uh, Aztec Sunstone was in the, the finale of Andor. Was it? Yeah. So Earth is now canon. Sick. Um... Norberto Rodriguez says for five bucks, historical fiction needs to be historically accurate to be plausible, lost story of history. I think to a point, I think the more historically accurate you can be in a historical drama, the better, just because it can often help inform the story. A, keeps it more interesting for people who do know the history, and B, it can get other people who are not familiar with the history interested in it, and thus it makes it a more enjoyable experience. But at the same time, in order to tell a good story that's not just a direct retelling of history, you're going to have to take some creative liberties, like Gladiator, like uh, Master Commander, like Patriot's a little too far. But... Patriot takes it a little too far, yeah. as does uh, Braveheart. Yeah. Um, Mel Gibson has a tendency to take things a little too far in general. Yeah. Uh, just just as a as a. I love his movies, though. He Movies are great. His movies are phenomenal. Yeah, yeah he's um, yeah, I mean, in my opinion, as as a trained historian, um, historical fiction needs to be historically accurate enough to not mislead people about what happened. Yeah. But outside of that, mm -hmm. take as many liberties as you want, in my opinion. Uh, yeah. As long as you're not trying to portray it as real history, as long as it's clear that this is, uh, you know, based on a true story. Yeah. If you open a movie with, this is a true story, and then just did not tell one yeah that would be a problem yeah but i think if, if star wars opened up with this is a true story we might yeah. have some issues like for example i wrote a show called rebellion i wrote the first mm. three episodes of it uh it tells the story of the glendower rising of 1400 ad uh of the welsh revolting against the english but because i wanted to not have to stick within the bounds of owen glendower's daily life mm. i centered the character i centered the story around a character named reese Mm. you've read probably yep. the first episode of this yep so by doing that i gave myself the license to send reese off to do stuff that it would have been cool if owen did but it, it, but it, now it, i have i i can get away with it yeah i no longer have to say you know oh this didn't happen i can be like this thing happened mm -hmm. the main character wasn't there but there were people there and i put my character there yeah so i can describe what happened to you in from from his perspective and that's a, that's a writing tool that people yeah. will use if they want to do something historically accurate to an extent if you can then create a fictional character that you can put in all of the highlight points and find a way to make it work because that way you know you're not going to have you're not going to have the ability to say that benjamin franklin was in you know valley forge during the winter with which they spent there because he was in yeah. france if i remember correctly yeah. But if you create a character that went to France with Benjamin, but then came back and was fighting in Valley Forge, you can see both of those places within the story. Yeah, and you, while well, having a you can make the story about Franklin's apprentice. Yeah, exactly. And just give him one. Yes. You can base that character on Thomas Paine. Like, yep. And still have it be separate. Yep. So that's, you know, and that's what Mel Gibson did with the Patriot. Mm hmm is he created a character who did not exist. Yeah. So that he could tell the story through the eyes of somebody who was there. Yes. Without disrespecting any real person's memory. Yes. Um, uh, Maria gave us five bucks. Thank you. Without saying anything, so thanks for that. Um, 
And then Scorching Violet for $10 said, Hayden, I'm working on a story based around the Uncanny Valley effect. Is your theory you use on your uh, your original idea or is it another person's? And if so, would it be already to use it? Well, just psychologically speaking, there's a lot of research into the Uncanny Valley. Um, so I would start there. I mean, obviously his theory in and of itself is unique, but just as a... Eh, mine's more of a compilation of other... But still, that's that in and yeah, of itself. So my, my theory with the Uncanny Valley thing... Uh, stemmed from an old creepypasta, an anonymous creepypasta, uh, called Primal Fear, I want to say. And it was really short. And it was just the concept that uh, way back in prehistory, there was something that hunted humans. And that's why today we have... It's called Genetic Memory. That's mm. the name. Um, genetic Memory. Uh, the idea was actually no, it's really short. Uh, put the search on genetic memory creepypasta, and I'll sure. just read it. To I mean, everybody. it's a similar reason why we are we are hesitant about the dark. Yeah. Uh, um. So no, I would not say it's my original theory necessarily. If you went point for point, word for word, through what I said tonight on this podcast, then that would be probably more akin to my original theory. That would be more proprietary. Uh, but in the case of you know the uncanny valley in general, no, that's not mine. But if you do write a story and you use uh, things that I've said uh, in this video or in others, go for it. I would just appreciate a little line in the acknowledgments. That is all I ask. If, if you use stuff I said, then just a line in the acknowledgments would be nice. Thank you. <laughs> Let me see. Yep. Uh, many classic horror icons, such as Geiger's Xenomorphs, Silent Hill's Pyramid Head, and other disturbing creatures share common characteristics. Pale skin, dark, sunken eyes elongated faces, sharp teeth, and the like. These images inspire horror and revulsion in many, and with good reason. The characteristics shared by these faces are imprinted in the human mind. Many things frighten humans instinctively. The fear is natural and does not need to be reinforced in order to terrify. These fears are species-wide, stemming from dark times in the past when lightning could mean the burning of your tree home, thunder could be the approaching gallops of a stampede, predators could hide in the darkness, and heights could make poor footing lethal. The question you have to ask yourself is this. What happened, deep in the hidden eras before history began, that could affect the entire human race so severely, so evenly, as to give the entire species a deep, instinctual, and lasting fear of pale beings with dark, sunken eyes, razor-sharp teeth, and elongated faces? Just be careful out there. And I will say, in regards to just the Uncanny Valley theory itself, as a broad spectrum idea i know one of the supposed solutions is take out the razor sharp teeth because that is just mm -hmm. a common theme through any form of predator that has been you know up on the food chain higher than us mm -hmm. at any point pale beings with dark sunken eyes and elongated faces the theory there is that sounds a hell of a lot like someone with a very advanced disease and so part of the possibility of the Uncanny Valley is a lot of the traits which are associated with it, that being, you know, humans who don't quite look like humans, tend to have to do with either death or people who are near to death. And we developed an instinctual fear to keep back from them to preserve ourselves back before we understood germ theory. Yeah, I've heard that version. Um, I don't feel fear when I look at somebody dying of cancer. Cancer is also relatively new. Well, it's not new, but there's a lot. Yeah, my point is, like, looking at somebody who's sick doesn't make me feel fear. Fair. You know? um, so I think that's, that one seems like a cop-out to me. It seems like what I was talking about earlier, trying to explain something that to us is irrational as something rational. Fair. But, you know, maybe. 
Maria said, oh, I think this was uh, yeah. a temporal. Is okay. there solid proof God is a God of math and science? If so, can you make a video on it? Mm, that's, I will, let me think about that one. That is a good question. Um, I'm not sure how I'd even go about it, but I can, I can, let me do some thinking on that. Um, I have no even by a God of math and science. Like, I would imagine it has to do with like, is there proof that God exists in a way in which 21st century humans can tangibly comprehend? In that case, I would say probably not. Yeah. Um, Yeah, I can't really think of anything that would prove the existence of something that exists outside of the bounds of natural law. If you were able to prove the existence of God, then, like, yeah. Christianity would be knocking at your door and being like, oh, you can now, can you? Yeah, exactly. Well, I just don't think it would work. Yeah. Um, uh, ben for five hours says, he, Jesus, goes to America after his resurrection and dies there to clarify. I would think he's referring to JoJo's. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. yeah. It was Kratos, he is the uncanny. <laughs> I have not played any of those games. Neither have I. Neither, yeah, no. I only right. had a PlayStation that worked for like three months. Oh boy. Yeah, then it just like crapped out on me. Archie, come on. Come here, come hang by the people. We're getting to the end of the show. Archie. I brought him forth. But I bring him forth because it is time for us to end the show. We're ending it 10 minutes before 8.30 because uh, the Eagles game is on. Yes, I'll be completely honest with you guys. I uh, got to see how we go to ten and one against the Packers tonight. <laughs> Fair, but thank you everybody for tuning in. We will have another video for you on Friday. Uh, we will be posting the recipes from the uh, cocktail stream from Friday this week. Yep. I will post those. Um, and that uh, that is about all there is to say. Wonderful. Yep. So, uh, oh, they want a goodbye, Awu. Ready, Archie? Are you are you ready for an awoo? Are you ready for an awoo? His tail. It looks like he's ready for an awoo. Ready? Oh, oh. Going back to the thing you said about people that have war gods invading people that have agricultural gods are literally Norse pantheon. I'm not sure I understand. There might have been a, a punctuation error there, but yes, that is that that is a theory that stems from the Norse pantheon. Um, <laughs> History Daddy saying, love the stream, guys. Night, go cowboys. <laughs> you How could you do this man. to us? All right. Well, thank you, guys. You guys have a phenomenal rest of your evening. Thank you for those who super chatted. For those who didn't and simply watched, thank you as well. Um, we hope you enjoyed the thumbnail. <laughs> <laughs> that was the highlight of tonight for us. Yeah, we had a lot of fun with that thumbnail. Yeah. Um, I literally went and looked up by uh, male angel, and that's what I got. Yeah. So it was kind of perfect. Yep. But thank you, guys. We will see you on the next one. See you, everybody.